Okay, so today I'm really happy to say uh, that we have Ben Hurt, founder of Origami, on the Metaverse Show. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, Jamie. People that have the pleasure of watching this on, on video rather than just audio. Um, Ben's looking great. He's got a great setup there. He's got a professional mic. This he's not. He's this isn't his first rodeo. So I'm really looking forward to doing this. Um, yeah, or maybe my first rodeo oh, is off to a great start with you. That could also work. <laughs> um, so what yeah. is origami? Origami is setting up the world's most valuable DAOs for success. Um, it's a DAO platform that helps the world's most valuable communities self-govern um, while increasing transparency and fairness. Sounds pretty cool. I know you've been enjoying a lot of success, traction. I know that you founded several DAOs yourself. Orange DAO, I guess, is the most high-profile one, right? Um, mm -hmm. Raised about $18 million right, yeah. from Algorand Foundation Near. You have launched Constellation DAO, um, which is uh, a kind of DAO of Techstars alumni. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and that's I think right. you've done a Y Combinator one as well. Like, is that, that's the same. Yeah, that's the Orange DAO one. So Orange DAO, mm -hmm. yeah, Orange DAO is about 1,300 uh, founders of YC-backed companies. Very cool. And I believe you went through YC as well, right? Yeah, actually, I was on both sides. Uh, I actually worked at YC um, when uh, Sam Altman was uh, president uh, on a moonshot project to build oh, uh, better right. housing. And then I joined the program afterwards. Cool. Okay. Well, looking forward to getting into your, your background as well. Um, and actually quite timely, right? It's almost like we planned this and we had some inside knowledge. Um, of course, uh, I'm referring to probably 15 hours ago to today's recording, which is 23rd of September, 2022. Uh, the CFTC uh, has uh, instigated some action against a DAO um, uh, that they offered derivatives without a license. So... Um, We'll get into, is this regulatory overreach? What does this mean for DAOs? Um, do you care? Should you care? Uh, do we kind of carry on um, as business as usual? Um, but before we do that, let's kind of start, let's start about on your background. Um, it'd be great to kind of get a, a potted history of how you got into Web3, you know, how, how you got here. Yeah. Um I actually learned about crypto fairly early on. Uh, I want to say back in 2011 or so, that's when I read the uh, Bitcoin and white paper. Um, didn't really think much of it at the time. Um, I learned about it. It was interesting. Uh, started talking to my tech friends um, at conferences and then did nothing for several years until actually there was a market and, and people started actually buying it in retail and things like that. And so um, conceptually, fairly early on, um, but it really got started a little over a year ago when a group of my friends reached out and said, hey, Ben, we know you can't. We know you know the meme world. My previous life, I spent building a company called the Cheeseburger Network, which was responsible for sites like Icon's Cheeseburger, Fail Blog, Know Your Meme, and so you know my OG internet meme lord thing uh, came in handy. But what I really got fascinated was instead of buying the NFTs and JPEGs, which we were doing, and we did, we did great on that, I was really interested in how we, as a group of friends, got together um, and actually started making decisions, and that was the doubt part. How do you create a token? How do you use a token to vote? How do you use that token to represent contributions and reputations and things like that? And so I kind of ran into the limitations of compliance and the way to do things legally using a DAO. 
looked at all the DAO frameworks out there today, decided that that wasn't scalable enough, that that wasn't flexible enough, and wanted to go explore building something better uh, that could scale. Uh, that led to creating a framework for um, Orange DAO. And so that was our test, right? If we can make this work, um, and especially since Orange DAO you know, blew up so quickly, uh, we could support thousands of members and we could do it legally. Okay, let's go offer this to other people because they started approaching us and saying, hey, we'd like to do the same thing that Orange Dad did. Like, for example, Constellation now. Very cool. And out of the US as well, right? Which is added complexities to it, should we say. Considerations. <laughs> Consideration. Yeah, I actually don't know what it's like uh, looking from the UK side of things. Uh, you know, when you look across the pond, I'm sure we sometimes look like a hot mess. Um, however, you know, it is the biggest market. And so there are advantages to being here if you can figure out how to actually do it. And, and be Yeah, involved. I mean, look, I don't think the UK is in any position to be thinking of anything as a hot mess right now. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, look. Yeah, we're like the two, two, two messed that's up cousins right, of the right. Western but, world. Um, but look, yeah, I mean, we're, we, so whilst I'm personally in the UK, we operate globally. I think actually only 25% of our team are between uh, the UK and the US. But, you know, of course, the US is the biggest market, arguably. Um, um, so uh, so we, we kind of track it. So so why DAOs? Like why? You, you could be doing lots of things. You're a meme lord. Yeah. Um, you have a great network. You're a smart guy. Like, you know, why, why DAOs? Why DAOs are important? Yeah, so I'm old enough to have gone through the first dot-com bubble. Um, I built my, you know, uh, notable company, Cheeseburger, on Web 2.0, right? And so I've been through every generation of the web. And if you think about what's coming, the idea of putting contracts and relationships online um, so that you can actually effortlessly connect and transact and swap and do all the things that we want to build with crypto, it'd be really uh, a mistake to put the governance and the control of those um, pieces of software in the hands of the same structure as before, right? And so with the technology revolution comes the way we actually govern that technology. And one of the biggest things I'm learning in crypto is that we need to figure out how to govern as well as build. And so without the governance layer, without the ability for us to have a consensus, the entire crypto foundation doesn't really work. You have to say, hey, if we share governance over this protocol, how is that fairly and transparently divided among us? Right? How, it, this is the same um, you know, uh, underlying structure as consensus in any blockchain. Right? We need that at the application layer, which is dApps, DeFi protocols, um, you know, investment DAOs, all of the above. So I believe your like practical first practical experience of DAOs was with this NFT buying fund, yeah, um, crisis, crisis DAO. DAO, and that was in twenty one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, early twenty one. So, yeah. so what were the learnings of, of that? I mean, I know you said generally frameworks didn't really work, yeah. but like, what was the like the, the practical experience of that? Uh, a lot of chaos, <laughs> right? You have a bunch of people who um, are technology proficient, very technology proficient, um, but most of us had very little, uh, you know, practical crypto experience, right? So, you know, we were literally teaching each other how to actually use a ledger, right? Uh, this is how you set up a hardware wallet. This is how you, like, all that stuff we're learning peer-to-peer. And also at the same time, trying to figure out what is governed by this token 
versus outside of it. What is on-chain? What is off-chain? You know, what does the technology allows us to do? And also struggling with the definition of like what a proposal is or what a process is. Um, it's almost like creating a new type of company from scratch and then having to go discuss all the rules with everyone in the company and saying, how do we agree that this is how we're going to run our business? And how did you collectively either understand but navigate risk, the associated risks of what you were doing? Was it not that relevant because you all knew each other yeah. and you were friends? So there was already established trust. It wasn't totally, it didn't need to be trustless or. Yeah. So most of us knew each other. Um, most people like one or two degrees of separation away in that DAO. So there was like 25 of us. The first thing I had to do is figure out um, what was required to actually build a DAO, right? And one of the things that was questionable was, do you really need a um, LLC or company or something to actually govern this group? And the answer was maybe, right? So there are some exemptions in the securities law in the United States that allow you to issue security-like instruments if your group is less than 100 people. Like it, There's like these like obscure, weird, or just like things that are not intuitive for a lot of normal people. Um, and we have to actually communicate that with the rest of the DAO and say, hey, what do we want to do? What risks are we willing to take? What risks are we not willing to take? How comfortable are we with one another? Because at the end of the day, the current infrastructure of DAOs, the state of the art, is that it's difficult to take a proposal and commit it to the blockchain and to execute once a vote is live. Very few DAOs actually have the infrastructure and the business model to say, once we vote on this proposal, therefore it becomes rule. Right. And so as a group of 25 friends, we're like, okay, well, if I say, let's go sell this board ape, right? What is what are the parameters? At what point, if the price drops too much, should we say, nope, cancel that, we're not gonna sell it? Right. These are very complicated questions when you don't have the infrastructure and the the muscle memory to do it that way. Yeah, and obviously one of the challenges with DAOs is that members can bring liabilities. Um so one member could expose all other members to various liabilities that they may or may not be aware of, right? Yeah, yeah. So in DAO, most DAO frameworks like Moloch, right. which is probably the most popular one, um, part of the challenge is everybody is the same hierarchy, right? There's no management. It doesn't allow for it because it's how, kind of how the law works. If you have a much bigger organization, how do you actually trust someone who you don't know to act in the best interests of the DAO, right? This is where the transparency and the openness gets more and more interesting, right? Unlike a company where the assumption is that the information is secret, in a DAO, the assumption is made that the information must be av available to the rest of the DAO, if not fully public, um, which in and of itself presents a challenge. But if you are making that decision or making a decision and you have information to share with the DAO, we need to have the infrastructure and the tools to share it across the board um, but also at the same time, not everybody has the time right. to actually go read all that stuff, right? And so you immediately end up with, okay, we need some sort of representative right. democracy, right? Uh, we need people who are actually, um, that we have explicitly uh, trusted to not, uh, to, to serve the DAO's best interest. And then we have the ability to actually remove them or change the rules so that um, we can continue to grow and scale. And so that became the experiment, experimentation at Orange DAO is, okay, we have a lot of members. We know that not everybody's going to participate. How do we actually get a smaller group of people um, to actually put in some sweat equity and also reward them um, for their contributions? Orange thousands of people, right? 
It's actually 1,300. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a pretty sizable group. And um, none of the members of the DAO paid for their tokens. So they were actually given tokens or they earned them uh, by doing right. work for the DAO. Which, yeah, because all right. the funding came from outside. Which doesn't necessarily insulate, because like airdrops can sometimes be considered in a US context anyway as, as securities, right? Um, but again, I mean, that, that's a nuanced bit of a rabbit hole. <laughs> we'll maybe avoid that. So could, can you tell us how you structured they chose to structure those two vehicles. Are they pure play, hardcore DAOs? Are they LAOs, you know, legal DAOs with some kind of wrapper in Delaware or something else? Mm -hmm. What did you decide? Yeah, so the orange DAO structure is that there is a venture fund, like a regular 2% management fee, 20% carry uh, venture fund with three general partners, uh, of which I am one. That manages a $50 million uh, early stage crypto venture vehicle. Then there's the DAO, which is governed by its tokens. It has its own treasury uh, and it is uh, wrapped as a uh, Cayman Islands offshore foundation. Okay. The interaction between the two, the, between the fund and the DAO, is that the DAO will provide deal flow support. So generate deal flow, screen initial uh, uh, interviews, uh, manage applications, do the branding, all that stuff. And then um, the filtered ones, the ones that they recommend, or all the data from it, actually, from their interviews, come to the GPs at the fund. And the GPs have final decision on how to make that investment. Now, the, the financial relationship between that is that the carry that the general partners would have earned, I know this is probably going to blow your mind, all of that goes to the DAO. So why on earth would three GPs of a $50 million venture fund give up all of their upside? So obviously the general partners of the fund have, uh, we do receive tokens in the DAO, right? So we do have a say and we have a big stake in the DAO. Also at the same time, our mission is to actually enable more entrepreneurs to come into Web3, grow the pie. If Orange Fund and Orange DAO can create a self-sufficient no. endowment for entrepreneurship, right? Uh, that would be an amazing value add, amazing uh, win for the entrepreneurial ecosystem. As, as much as we uh, have benefited from the venture system, we 80% of the upside goes out of the entrepreneur's pockets, right? And so how do we cycle that money back in to support more entrepreneurs? Yeah, very cool. I'm just going to copy paste it out for Outlier. So thanks, but we can end the interview. <laughs> just... Uh... Yeah, can you send me right, the little later. documents? Yeah, let me know if you need some copy. Uh, yeah, which is funny because that's that's right. literally what we do yeah. at Origami, right? It's like we. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I'm going yeah. to Um how, how does success look like? So, how's that going? What's been the learnings? What's working? What's not working so well? And maybe I'm preempting a little bit, but. There's always just been debate around a threshold to which DAOs will be mm -hmm. optimal. Is it Dunbar, you know, 115 or whatever it is? As a subset of your answer, that'd be great to address. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, the DAO is rather open-ended. We have this mission of like enabling more entrepreneurs to come into Web3. But the whole point of this DAO is so that ideas from the membership can actually bubble up to the surface. Uh, and become things that we fund at the DAO. 
So one of the very first things that was proposed was um, a podcast of our own, right? As every company now, every DAO is really a media entity today. And so that was one of the things um, and that was grassroots created. We had people volunteer. Now they're being compensated in tokens to actually go run our show. Amazing, right? The, no central authority had to say, we need a podcast, right? There was no CEO. There's no board that's doing this. Another grassroots idea that came up at Orange DAO is that there was a fellowship program. The idea was... Before you start a company as an entrepreneur, let's say you're a YC founder and you're in between companies, how do we help you spend some time uh, working in Web3 full-time, right? Because if you're a Web2 founder, the, the transition of technology itself does take some time and skills. And so how do we help you do that? So we funded with uh, Press Start, which is another VC firm, 10 fellowships, $25,000 uh, each for every person who uh, was uh, accepted the fellowship program to spend just learning about Web3. And that's pretty amazing. So we uh, would receive a, 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 a safe, like a safe on an MFN for uh, if they do start a company within a 12-month tail, right? So it's a high-risk, high-reward thing for the DAO, but that's actually not happening at the venture fund side. So the Orange Fund's not funding that. That's actually coming from the DAO's own funding, right? So you, we have this like snowball multiplier effect happening with, hey, if I was doing this today as an entrepreneur, I would have loved this. Then yeah. let's go create it. Right, and these were passed by DAO votes and funded by DAO votes, and so we're going to see more and more of that, like more of these grassroots ideas on what can actually be done with the resources that we have, um, and so that's actually what's really exciting to see. And within all the regulatory considerations or constraints from, from a structural perspective, I, I, it sounds like you've got complete fluidity, so people can rage quit. Right, I'm I'm out. No, no, no barriers. Yep. Um, is there a certain level of do existing members need to approve a new member? Is there a threshold to that? Yeah. So uh, at Origami, we support a dual primitive for membership. Uh, one is an NFT membership token, right? So this says, uh, Jamie, you're a member at Good Standing. You joined at this time. These are the roles that you have, and the token gives you access to community spaces, whether it's Discord or you know documents, things like that. That's your like information right almost. And then there's the governance token, a fungible ERC-20 or something similar to it that is your governance power, right? So these two things give you um, the ability to access information and then to take action. You can actually create a delegation model that says, if I hold a governance token, but I don't have a membership NFT, I actually can't vote. But I can delegate those tokens to someone who has a membership NFT, Right, and so like optimism or ENS, my delegated uh, stakes actually uh, do matter. Right, and so you can now build an organization that has private membership on chain that is managed by the NFT, and then you can scale it to beyond that membership by being able to actually trade that ERC twenty. From a regulatory perspective, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with having a token. There's nothing wrong with issuing a token in the United States. The question is, what does the token do? Um, right now. The it's not this black yeah, and white, but I'm going to sure. really simplify it. If you if your token gives you the ability to actually earn a distribution from the DAO or from the entities behind the DAO, that's when it gets classified as a security. And so what we do is we talk about the governance token being a utility token that gives you power and voice over the treasury. It does not, at least not yet legally, it does not entitle you to any of the underlying assets. Now, if the law changes, and we're hoping that the law changes, that we could do distributions, but right now, 
if you want to be compliant, that's the path to go, at least yeah. in the US. I mean, I've heard, um, so we, we have debates around this all the time. You know, we've got a pretty big token yeah. design, token engineering, DAO team internally. And one of the concepts was uh, you do buybacks. So it's not a yield. It's not an explicit yield. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, if the DAO performs well, it will buy back tokens, it, you know, by vote, and which is an indirect yield, right? Yeah. Yep. So if you are a US-based entity, that is probably a no-no because the SEC will see that as a form of distribution, right? You have just increased the capital gains value of the token you hold. You took deliberate action to actually distribute wealth to people who did not participate in the creation of the wealth yes. of the value. Active, right? you, if you are be offshore, active, be active in the value creation, that's the thing. It can't be, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And it, so the, the waters are getting muddied, um, unfortunately, by mm. enforcement action right now. But the idea is that um, that is based on the U.S. regime uh, and the structure that we have here with the SEC. If you do offshore, the rules may be different. And there are different jurisdictions that are offering yeah. different set of rules. Right. And so compliance, you have to do locally. But the idea is that we are starting to see innovation and competition among other entities that says, hey, we have slightly different rules. Come build your DAO in our country, or at least, you know, domicile it in our country. Yeah, look, I think mid to long term environments, yes, city-states, Singapore, Dubai, uh, jurisdictions yeah. like Cayman, you know, they will be competing for this wealth, just like they've done with the reassurance industry, right? I think like 90% of the reassurance yeah. industry is in Bermuda. Trillions of dollars and a population yeah. of like, a lot of the shipping industry, I think, is based on the Marshall Islands, right? It's like, why yeah. Why is that happening? Um, and we've actually got a good relationship with, with with Cayman. I mean, almost all jurisdictions, to be honest with you, because we, we advise on where, where somebody might want to mm. structure, set up their shop. Um, and, you know, there's some interesting analogous uh, structures. I forget whether it was – I forget where, where it was, but it was like a Cayman-like jurisdiction um mm -hmm. and they had the ownerless corporation um which, right so that's the uh um yeah, there you go. There the you bvi go. has um yeah. mm -hmm. now that has been abused for tax evasion and various other things yeah. but conceptually there is already something that exists which is effectively a, 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 a legal framework for a DAO, which is an entity that has no actual owner, but it could be multiple owners. So these, some things could be repurposed in a positive way, right? Actually, so the, the analogy is like, if you're writing smart contracts and you're writing, uh, you're composing a bunch of smart contracts together into a meta protocol, for example, you can do the same thing with laws and entities uh, around the globe, right? Um, most uh, city-states and others are adopting stronger KYC and anti-money laundering laws. They're, they're becoming more standardized across the globe. Um, but there are like owners, ownerless corporations and, you know, uh, specific trusts that uh, protect its ownership from, you know, liability. There are lots of different tools they can use to assemble yeah. a DAO structure. Um, yeah. And so I think... It's becoming uh, murky for now. I think we're going to see some clarity as the blockchain legislation makes its way through Congress. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come into that next, actually, this recent, I guess you ca categorize it as enforcement action. But um, before I do, I, I'm going to just have my moan about the UK because, you know, this is 
huge opportunity for the UK. English law is very desirable in a commercial context, in a personal context. Yeah. Um, lots of people have prenups, like Russians have prenups in, in the UK, right, under English law, because um, they know it'll, it'll, it'll be fairly addressed um, rather than uh, the yes. alternative. Um, and so, you know, if you're in an environment that has well-regarded, well-respected, well-understood and well-enforced law, that is a huge commercial, that has a huge competitive advantage as a nation now, and especially putting aside whether Brexit was good or bad, you know, the UK has greater freedoms now uh, as to how it could put that law to effect. So it frustrates me greatly that this isn't being considered, but, yeah. you know. Well, so, uh, yeah, so that's a great point, right? The, the Commonwealth um, and the British common law have incredibly long and wide-reaching history, right? So yeah. th that's I think that's what you're talking about, which is the more stable a economic and legal system is, the more likely you are to draw entrepreneurs to go build on top of it because you know that no one's going to pull the rug out from underneath you. Right, like just as crypto people are worried about being rugged uh, of their token, the same thing exists yeah. at the regulatory level. Um, also, at the same time, it's not just about avoiding liability or just like complying. It's how does the law actually make the business and the industry better? Right? How does it promote fair competition? Because at the core of what a DAO is trying to do is that it is trying to create a fair economic distribution system and governance for the people who are participating. And so we're just hoping that more governments adopt that as, hey, this form of transparency is actually great. The fact that you can see all the tokens in the treasury online at any point is actually a super safe way of actually talking about your treasury and what's, what, what balance sheet you have. Like the fact that if you and I entered into a business and um, I had to figure out what, our, what it was on our balance sheet, it would be far harder to do it in the TradFi world than yeah. it, would, it would in crypto. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's the pitch, right? Um, so, uh, agency alleges, so this is CFTC agency alleges, mm. okay, Dow offered derivatives without license. What's going on with that? So there was a, a DeFi derivatives protocol. So like options trading and things like that. Uh, it was launched directly as a protocol by two people. They then handed over the control of the protocol to a Dow called UkiDAO. Um, the CFTC in the United States, they actually regulate derivatives, um, commodities trading. They have three commissioners. Uh, the majority of them decided that the original protocol was a violation of their rules. It was unregistered derivatives trading. Okay, that's their enforcement. That CFTC just covers that type. So once they found that protocol to be in violation of their rules, this is where things get really kind of messed up is that instead of just going after the people who created it or trying to get them back in compliance or trying to just figure out if there was any harm done to the actual public, like which is right. highly doubted at this point, um, they haven't proven it. They then went to the DAO and looked at the DAO and said, oh, there's this um, DAO and the people behind it. And we're just going to say, uh, we're going to make up an arbitrary definition of who the people are that are liable for this. And even though there is a uh, entity called a um, uh, uh, unincorporated association, which is recognized by law in the United States, they basically said, ah, we're just going to ignore the fact that this liability protection or this way of organizing a group of people will exist and we'll just go directly after people who voted on this protocol. Right? It's like saying, hey, um, 
there are people who are using Napster. And even though no one downloaded anything, no one violated the rules, just having Napster on your computer would make you liable because you could open it up and see the information and take action on it. Like, it's one thing to say somebody violated yeah. your reg- regulations, right? And that's the part that you know. It's another go, we're just going to go find everybody that um, um, voted and, and, and make them liable. That's the part that pissed Without off most of any obvious bad outcome, as you say, right? It wasn't that anything malicious had happened that I'm aware of anyway. Um, but outcome is 250K penalty paid to CFTC. So I don't know if that covered the cost of the action. Probably yeah, just. Probably. Right? Um, um, so it's not like a massive payday for them, but uh, it's a print. I guess it's a point of principle. They're trying to make a point of principle, right? Sadly, it's the wrong. I think, but the, but the threat to that is is that just by as you say, actively, well, being a member of a DAO, presumably an active member because it's people who, who voted on things, you could be in violation of. And what's crazy is they def- like it's like okay, what did you vote on? Like if I voted to change the color yeah, of the right. logo. Am I liable for the fact that somebody else violated the rules? And the the ruling that the CFTC took was, yep, don't matter. Like if you decided to vote on the change of somebody's nickname, you would be liable. So that's kind of like on the surface ridiculous. In fact, so ridiculous that one of the commissioners actually dissented and said exactly those things, which is, why are you just completely not doing your job on the second part of the story, which is what actually happened in the DAO? And what is subject to uh, enforcement? And also, uh, you know, from our perspective, it would be really great if they just told us what they believe is or isn't um, legal. Guidance. Wow, what a surprise, right? Like, instead of just telling people, instead of playing whack-a-mole, like, tell us. Like, we we are happy to abide by the rules, but the problem is you don't tell us what the rules are before you tell us that we've broken it. Well, I think, you know, I mean, and and this is true for crypto generally, right? The, The general mental model is we don't know what the fuck's going on so we're just going to retrospectively act on what we don't like <laughs> you know um right. rather than right. try and figure out what's going on and maybe that's impossible to be fair maybe that's impossible maybe it's impossible for them to get ahead of it but yeah. I, I don't think that's true i mean maybe maybe it's true for some of it because obviously innovation does look very different and and all that, but a lot of stuff that we're doing now, they could give us uh, uh, clarity on right away, right? Tell us what a utility token is. Tell us what a security token is. Give us better definitions. At least give us something so that we can argue with you about it. Yeah. So I remember the point I wanted to come back to, uh, um, be the last one, sadly, um, before we wrap up. Um, so radical transparency, right? That's the pitch um, to regulators, yeah. to the wider world, right? Um where does radical transparency become an attack vector? Yeah. So there are two attack factors with radical transparency. One is front running by insiders, right? So let's say the DAO passes something and says, hey, we want to go pick up um, you know, this token and we want to spend a million dollars over the next month in this price range of picking up this token because we believe in it. Now, all of a sudden, you know that there's going to be a million dollar demand for this token. You can go front run the DAO if you saw that proposal up for vote, right? Um, there's an answer to that, which is you can actually endow a smaller group within the DAO. Um, you could also use uh, monitoring. You could also use just a, a social contract that says, hey, we as member of the, members of the DAO will promise not to front run or not to use this information. And we're going to make our wallets available online so you to see that at least at least not happening in these wallets. right? And then there's um, 
front running from the outside, which is a lot like MEV risk, right? So somebody else can say, hey, I see that this trade is coming up. I don't belong to this DAO. Uh, I'm going to go figure out how to actually uh, do front run and back run on it. So that's the risk that a lot of DAOs run. There are going to be tools and techniques developed to minimize that, but that will exist in, in any transparent non-privacy And I guess um, there's also the ability to short a DAO token based upon knowing its trade, like its, its liabilities or whatever, right? Its trades. Yeah, if, if your DAO token is liquid and it is available on a lending platform, yeah. you can always short it. Well, look, I mean, it, fascinating talking to you. I didn't mean to necessarily end on a negative note. Let's, let's, do, let's do something really positive. <laughs> Give me some yeah, yeah. Let's do something good. What's what's exciting? What what's going to be some big trends for you in the next in in in, in this year and twenty three? I think a lot of trends are as the market settles down, we're going to be building. So the number of builders that have come into crypto who kind of fell in love with this platform and technology continues to grow, and we've seen in the last cycle that the number of builders actually stays yep. quite high even if there's a market crash. And so the things that we care about are, um, is, the, is the software secure? Is the protocol secure? So we're going to be investing a lot of time and money in making sure that things are secure. Two, um, are we building the right tools uh, to make it work efficiently? So a lot of DAOs, the internal operations are really hard because, again, unlike a business or enterprise software, they don't really exist today, but a lot of us are building it. And third, and this is the part that's really exciting, what is the new type of community and uh, community norms that we're building, right? The fact that people are coming together online without ever having met, and they're able to generate millions, if not billions of dollars of value is an incredible achievement because it looks like from the outside, um, a bunch of people that are almost random, right? Coordinating something that shouldn't really work, but it does. And it's actually incredible to watch that. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. More communities learning how to work together to go build value for each other. Very cool. Very positive. Like, like how I ended that. And um, yeah, if you could just send over all those templates, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn Outline to DAO. That means I can go on holiday, I can quit. I don't have to do this stuff anymore. Um, that's a good, I, that's uh, a good retirement I like plan. I like it a lot. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show been great to chat to you and i'm looking forward to checking in with you again actually uh, maybe six 12 months time see where you're at i'm sure there's going to be several more DAOs going on um but thanks for your time really appreciate it thank you if you enjoyed today's podcast please make sure you subscribe rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of web3 